You're listening to Incredibles with Jasmine Arch and Damon J. Quinn. Welcome back to the Incredibles, the podcast I know you've all been waiting for all month with my co-host Damien J. Clay and I. Say hello, Damien. Hello. Only today, we're turning the tables on Damien as he will be our victim, sorry, guest. I've enlisted the help of a friend of ours to be Damien's stand-in. May I present the amazing Andrew J. Savage. Hello. Hi, Andrew. It's so great to finally get you on here. We've been planning for this for a long, long time, haven't we? I really appreciate it. And also the fact that you've put amazing in front of my name. Like, that never happens. Well, consider it your Christmas present. It's a little bit early, but yeah, it'll happen. I'll take it. I'll take it. No take backs at this point. You have to leave that in. And of course, um, we're going to have you back for your own show as a guest. This is true. This is true. I can't possibly tackle Damien on my own, you know. No, I understand. I understand where we are with this. I think the two of us are just going to have to join forces shoulder to shoulder and, and, and tackle it head on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get started um, with a bit of catch-up. How's writing been for you last month? All right, thank you. So writing-wise, well, um, on the novel front, uh, it's completely stalled. On the um, short story front, I have had three short stories accepted um, for publication. Well, yes, I think that's right. I'm getting confused now, and one which may almost be through. So that would be fantastic. So that's all happened in since January. That's amazing. Three acceptances. That's three. Well, three and a half. Three and a half or two and a half. I can't count. Yeah, it's it's two and a half or three and a half more than I've got, unless you're counting the 100-word stories. No, I counted one of those. Okay. Okay. Then I have I one. I think we should. I think we should count that. Yeah, yeah. Damien? Uh, my writing has been going okay. I just finished a new novel, um, and it's now in the hands of the mighty Bex, who's editing it for me. So uh, that's all really good. Um, I've been writing a little bit of poetry, the odd short story here and there, and there's some interesting and exciting projects um, going on as we speak, really, but I'm sure we'll get to those uh, sometime in the future. Yeah, as always, your novels are something we look forward to immensely. Um, your productivity, as well as the amount, the, the amount of variety you produce is, is a bit awe-inspiring for me personally. Um, it is awe-inspiring. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, if I can be as, half as prolific as you, I would count myself immensely lucky um sadly i have to wring words out with with a set of pliers half the time yeah i mean that's that's it can be like that for everybody um but i i feel like there's no shortage of ideas in the world for me to to, to write about and that inspire me to be creative and angry i suppose as well so uh that that, that doesn't make it a little bit easier that there's there's so many there's so many things I want to write about. There's so many ideas and really not enough time. Yeah, we hear you there. Um, as far as my writing's going, but I've just finished the first draft of something I think will end up novella length and which is a bit of a very personal project for me. 
Um, and I've set it aside to rest for a bit. And I've returned to working on the Ardennes um, stories that I've I've started this year. And they're set in, in Belgium and they incorporate the myths of, of the myths I've grown up with, the stories my grandparents told me, and the things the, the magical creatures that belong here in my home. And it's been really nice to work on that. And it's for a change. The words are coming easily. So it's nice. Oh, that's really good. It's always it's always good when you, you've got that kind of drive going on and the words mm. the words just seem to fall out onto the page. And also having read some of those first draft, uh, I have to say that um, they're fantastic words too. Oh, Andrew, you're making me blush. Don't do that. It's a good thing people can't see me in a podcast. Well, maybe that'll happen one day as well. Maybe it'll become a, a <laughs> yeah, v- yeah, video cast. Not in then, a we'll, then we'll make you blush for sure at that point. <laughs> I think it's fantastic that you're using the culture of of where you grew up and the stories where you grew up and weaving the tale around that and it really makes it very realistic it's very engaging because of that and also a little bit alien and different which from for a fantasy i think is really has a has a great hook hook to it okay well it's i just i got started on it because i felt like there's so many awesome religions and cultures and and so there's there's so many worlds of mythology and story and religion and culture to be found on earth um in indian um culture and history in chinese japanese african culture and history um native american culture and history but i can never write that as good as someone born in that and steeped in that heritage could so I decided to look closer to home and there's a world of mythology right here within hand's reach. So why not use it? Yeah, I think it's absolutely a question that comes back down to write what you know, but also you should write the world that you see, write the world that falls you know, beneath your eyes, because if you don't, who else will? And I, I think there is a real need for writers to, to write about where they are and where they come from. That comes out in that story in spades. There's a depth to it. Well, that means a lot to me coming from you guys. But we're getting sidetracked. We're not here to talk about my stories. We're here to talk about Damien's story. Damien, we're here to talk to you about your novel, which we all lovingly call nickname Malachi. But the title is somewhat longer, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a longer title. <laughs> well, shall I read? Shall I read the title? I think you probably should. All right. So the novel that we're here to talk about <clears throat> is the novel by our very own Damien J. Clay, and the title is "The Crucifixion and Resurrection of Malachi the Queer." There it is. Lovely, lovely Malachi. It's Over. a long title. It has many multi-syllable words in it why did you pick this title can i ask that question yeah i mean when i was writing the story uh, i i didn't i didn't even have a working title for it but what i found when i was writing it was that i was running into this form that seemed to be present in almost every word i was writing and what that form was was the passion play um the story of christ 
um, from the wilderness all the way to the ascension. And it, it just kind of made sense that I should be very direct and say what this was, because, you know, you've both read the novel, you know how, how Malachi's treated within it, so the crucifixion and resurrection of Malachi the Queer, that really makes sense. It does, and there's, there's some very specific imagery that you use, and maybe we should talk about that at some point, um, but in throughout the story that really points or hints or foreshadows, um, um, I guess, more points towards that, that passion play structure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the nice things is that once I established that and, and found that form, it, it then kind of weaved itself into the, the text in so many different ways. It's the crucifixion and resurrection of Malachi the Queer, and he. So his name here is Malachi the Queer, and 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 is he calling himself that? Who is calling him that? Is he owning that name? I, I think he is owning it. I you know I don't. I think he sees himself set against well the religion in, in both terms of sexuality and his atheism. In a way, it kind of empowers him against those things and it empowers the title of the novel against the idea of religion you know which is a, a a big focus of where this novel goes when i read the book i read it a few months ago i think um maybe longer it doesn't really matter but i never thought about any of that because the minute i read like two paragraphs malachi had grabbed me by the collar and dragged me along Usually when I read, I see typos, I see I see all sorts of things, and I try to see story structure, and I saw none of it. All I saw and all I all I felt was like Malachi's path, his his trials, the things he undergoes. And I just basically sat there reading and crying more than half the time. Um it's that gripping. So it's interesting to hear you talk about the structure and the passion play, and I see that in retrospect. But I bet if I pick the book, the book up again and I read it again, he's going to drag me along again, just the same. Yeah, the, one of the things there was the voice, I think, that got me. So, so this is the first sentence from chapter one, um, and it starts, there are reasons to be afraid of the night. The inattention of the world, God's eyes are closed, which they say makes anything possible. The darkness cut clean with the flash of lightning that tries to get you and the silence of everything, but the hum from the electric fan of the laptop. Um, that's the first sentence. And then it goes on a little bit more. All these things are dangerous and all these things are beautiful. They're the background to my life, yet none are as dear to me as Noah. And that's our opening paragraph. And the, there's a lot of. Um, rhythm it's very poetic i think it is kind of a, a poetic opening line but i think for the novel it worked so there's a couple of things that pop out to me here um one of them is that he makes reference to god and as you pointed out before he he he's a, a bit of an atheist um he grows up in a difficult situation his his family are very religious uh christian yeah that's right but here in the first sentence, he references God's eyes being closed, which makes anything possible. The idea, the idea that 
um, without God's attention, anything is permissible. But in, in a way, it starts the conversation for him because there are, there are a couple of themes in this um, and, and a, couple, well, a couple of topics, one of them being his sexuality and how that impacts on his life. And the other is religion and how that impacts on his life. Um, and this right out of the gate tackles the, the religious question. It does. To some extent. Yeah, and, and you know, this is going to be a major part of the novel. He's, he's set against his parents in this way. And, and a huge part of this is, is the fact that, you know, in the novel, he's sent to a gay cure camp. Um, a religious gay here camp. So, yeah, I mean, setting up those things at the beginning felt very important. It's um, it sort of feels to me like a first step in in stepping away from the influence of his his family and how it limits himself in in his ability to be himself. If that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And and he he has been. He's already fallen away from the religion for the two reasons his sexuality and his atheism and so this, this puts him at real opposition with his parents so we, we basically start there so you know that that's the thing yeah it, it it really right out of the gate i mean that's um when i read it that didn't jump out at me it's on, it's only now going back in and trying to be a little analytical that that i see that we're referencing these things when i when i first started reading it it was like like uh, Jazz said, we just immediately uh, got sucked into the to the voice and the narrative, and Malachi kind of makes his impact on you as you read through. Yeah, I was I was very touched and affected by the by the story of Raymond Bies. For those of you who don't know about him, it's it, it's easy to it's easy to look, look up. Go and have a look on the net. I would suggest you try to avoid looking at the final pictures of him. Um, but this was a a, a kid, uh, fifteen years old, who was sent to a camp in South Africa that, um, quote, was to make men out of boys. And it's interesting because we, we don't really know too much about where Raymond was sexually uh, in terms of his sexual orientation. One of the things about the whole situation was that the, the camp, and, and apparently many more like it as well as it's come to light, um, were, were kind of about making soldiers you know for the paramilitary paramilitary organizations uh in south africa so um no nobody really knows how much of that you know was about his sexuality but um this was kind of presented as almost a gay rights case even though it may not entirely have been but it led me to let me to read some other stuff and i and i started finding out about these camps um these gay cure camps that are, you know, there's so many of them, you wouldn't believe it. What had happened to Raymond, I'll give you a quick list of his injuries. Um, it's kind of upsetting. He had 60 separate injuries when they got him into the hospital, uh, including a broken arm, broken ribs, uh, chemical and electrical burns. The tips of his ears were missing. His hair had been scoured off. His kidneys were failing and his brain had been damaged. And, you know, those final kind of effects were due to the fact he'd been kept dehydrated and unfed um, and forced to eat his own feces. The arm was broken with an iron bar. A lot of the burns were from cigarette butts. Mm. I, I was kind of disgusted by this, as you can imagine. And, 
and um, I, yes. I looked around and I started to find some real horror stories. I mean, hearing hearing that discussion, <laughs> you sort of as intense as this book is, you've almost not backed away, but not included some of the things that happened to that poor person in this book. And and this book at times can be very challenging to read because of what does happen. I mean, the going back to the passion play, the the, the harrowing that Malachi suffers is, is intense, but not as intense as what that poor person actually went through. Yes, and this is just one's person, one person's account. You know, I, 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 was, I was reading other kinds of stories, stuff you, you just wouldn't believe. And I, I felt like if I actually included a lot of this stuff, people, people just wouldn't believe it. Because, you know, when I, read, when I read that account back to you, it's hard for me to believe. You can't take it in, you know. It should be the worst horror movie ever made and or the best horror movie ever made, depending on how you look at it. But, but you can't. You can't. I don't think you can, you can realise it. You can't understand it just in terms of a list of injuries and things that were done to a 15-year-old boy, you know, who lasted, I think, three weeks in intensive care and then died when they got him there. So my idea was this. I said to myself, let me make an experiential novel so I can get people to actually understand. And while I'm doing it, you know, do some other stuff as well. Which just just a few things. Yeah, which which I'm sure you're going to get to because because you, I know from from when you, you, we spoke about this first of all, you identified quite a lot of what I was doing. Not not immediately. Some of them I did. Some of some of the tricks. Um, and and for for people listening, one of the one of the key tricks here is that Damien makes us love Malachi immediately. You fall in love with Malachi, and I was falling in love with Malachi over these first you know, two chapters all the time thinking, you bastard, you bastard, you make me fall in love with him, and I know this is going to end badly, and I have to keep reading anyway. Did you, did you feel like that too, Jazz? I definitely did. I didn't curse Damien so much as I sort of railed, and, and I, was, I was cursing the entire society that enables stories like this to exist. He's just, he's bearing witness, but he's not, he's not. The only thing he's doing in sharing this story with us is taking away our ability to, to, to not see the atrocities that happen. You can't, you can't read that story and not love Malachi and you can't put it down halfway through. You just, it's impossible. It cannot be done. And I remember talking to you after I finished reading it and I sat there with red swollen eyes and the sort of choked voice people get when they've been ugly crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you you told me about um you told me what you told us just now about the boy who inspired you looking up these camps and, and doing research and and I remember you distinctly telling me not to Google him. Well, yeah, that's not that's not how it works, though. If <laughs> you tell me not to do a thing, of course I'm going to do it. And then I cried some more. Yeah, um, that that picture of him is horrific. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. If you've not seen it, don't go looking. It's not. It's. My I'm not fault. going to go looking at that. I'm I'm definitely not going to go looking at that. No, I I read the the novel mostly in one sitting. 
cursing Damien um, electronically <laughs> all the while. Um, <laughs> and and then I, I had to take a break because of, 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 of things I had to do at home. Uh, and I came back and finished it off a couple of hours later and I was reading it uh, in bed before I went to sleep. And I had a, you know, my pillow was, was damp from, from the, uh, uh, you know, the emotion of, of the ending. So it's, it's a highly emotional story. Um, the way it's been done is extremely, well, it's extremely well done. And, um, and it, and it really does take you on this journey with, with Malachi for good and for ill. He, he goes through literally hell. Um, but he does come out the other side. Which is also good. I, I did want to capture that as well. I wanted to capture the fact that his spirit remains intact, which I felt was really important to show, even though he's been brutalized. Um, but also, generally speak about the process of coming out of trauma and what that's like from the inside. And it's interesting because, you know, from a lot of the people who've read it, I get emails from and messages from and people who leave reviews. They always seem to go to that. You know, the story is the story and it's effective and it does what, what I wanted it to do. But what I didn't realize was that a lot of people would cling to the, um, the accounts of therapy and PTSD and that, that would be the thing that made them love the book and actually the book changes something for them. It definitely does that. I don't think... You can experience, you don't read that book, you experience it. And I don't think you can do that and not be changed. And that's a good thing. I found that too. I think I think I, I told you at the time, Damien, that I, I felt like a better person to having read it, even though it was challenging to read because humans can do such horrible things to other humans for, for absolutely no good reason whatsoever. And being challenged with that in your face, even though that's the reality of a lot of people every day, that's, that's a difficult thing to face. And as, as Jazz said, you do experience it. It's not like you're looking at this from the outside. We're, we're well inside um, Malachi's first-person point of view throughout, except for one section. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd want to I talk about this. quite remember where that section is, and I don't know if we want to go to that because we're starting to get into craft discussion a little bit. That's fine. It's, it's right at the beginning of Chapter 2. It's, it's the very opening of Chapter 2. So this starts off, actually, Chapter 1 is a frame, isn't it? It is. I wanted to make it O-shaped for maybe obvious reasons. I, I was going to put... All three of those characters, Jake, Jacob, Noah, and um, Malachi, through such heavy stuff that I wanted to give the readers some reassurance that at least they're alive at the end of the, and, and functioning at the end of the book, at the end of the novel. And I thought the best way to do that was to, to use an O shape. So we start in the, um, the future, we go back to the past, and then end back just before the first chapter. Yeah, it makes total sense. Chapter two starts in third person, and and it and it's a it's very much in the style of a narrator narrating something. The naked boy in the mirror is thinking about his parents dying. His name is Malachi Russell, and he's a liar. And then you do a very clever thing. Don't get a big head. Uh, <laughs> you, 
you, you do a very clever thing. One one isn't having this be in third person, um, and the other is that this is actually a scene of a character looking in a mirror, which, as we all know, can be done very badly, and, and it's usually just an excuse for a writer to get a description. But that's not what this scene does at all. There is some physical description here. But to me reading this, this is a really clever way of having a character be introspective. Um, and the, and he's almost stepped outside of himself, kind of judging himself in a way. But what what were you really aiming for here? Am I am I anywhere close to what was intended? Well, you are, you're absolutely spot on as to what was intended by that. The actual the actual scene starts off at the end of the previous chapter, where you get that final line where he's looking. He says he's looking into the mirror, and thinking about. Things, the things that happened before his last 14th birthday. I can't remember the exact line, but it's right at the end of that first chapter. So we then go, yeah. we then go to him looking back. And so what I wanted was instead of just having a bang, hey, it's a year ago, I, I wanted the feeling of a slow retreat into the past. Um, I guess like a fade-in would, would be in a film. That's the effect I really wanted to create. And... There are a few bits of imagery that I wanted to include. The shot of him naked, for example, gives gives the reader a, a very clear view that he's vulnerable. It's kind of shorthand for that anyway, uh, for vulnerability. But also honesty, um, that's another another big, big part of that. Uh, the fact he's looking into the mirror while he's doing it is, whether you like it or not, should give you the, the background impression that this is a fragile situation, easily shattered. And hmm. that's reaffirmed by the Tower Struck by Lightning tarot card, which is all about losing control and, you know, everything you've taken for granted being suddenly taken away from you. Yeah, and I, and I think you really achieve that fade-in because there is a distance. When you use a narrator, it distances us from the the... the point of view of the of of the protagonist and so there is a narrator in between and we and that narrator slowly pulls out and then at some point we're back into first person yes and it's surprising how few people notice the transition i never did until andrew pointed it out haha yeah it's, <laughs> it's it just goes to show how how much the story had absorbed all of my attention by then and I had nothing left to divert to things as trivial as POV. Whereas usually. Well, POV is not trivial at all, but compared to Malachi, it was for me anyway. Well, if you'd been interrupting your reading by sending abusive text messages to the author, then you would have had a little bit of space to be thinking about POV. So that's the trick. I need to try that next time I read um, that book. That's absolutely the trick. Yeah. Um, okay. But I love this. I'm going to make note of that. <laughs> it's, it's a good trick. I love this. I thought, I thought this was a wonderful way to, to segue from from that into a into a flashback and, and clearly we're in chapter two so there's a going to be a lot of flashback and going into this we don't know the reader has no idea how much of this story is going to be the present or the past and this was just a really great 
it's not one technique. There's a whole bunch of techniques in here, imagery, um, some foreshadowing with the with, with the tarot deck. And, and then we, we move into first person again. And it's really direct. Malachi's um, voice is is very direct. Not even that interests me, he says. Um, they, he says I added we're we're very much in his head, so he's not he's not um, there's no dialogue tags for any of this. The reason I like this card and the major arcana of the tarot deck is for the semiotics and iconography, the symbol the symbology. This is a very clever fourteen year old, and that's also up front, right out of the gate. He's introspective. He thinks about himself outside of himself. And he thinks deeply about interesting things. Uh, at this point, he hasn't started speaking about religion so much, but he's really talking, oh, a little bit. Um, but then he starts to talk about tarot decks and what that means to him. So I think um, at this point, we're at sort of the first page of chapter two, and we, we're already getting quite a, a good understanding of the, the character that we're going to be spending a lot of time with. Yeah, he's very smart. I mean, I think that, again, was a choice to try and make him more appealing to the reader. Who doesn't love a smart person? Someone you can have a conversation with who has interesting things to say. So so this stuff kind of magically worked its way out of me onto the page. It, you know, a lot of it wasn't in conception. It was actually just in the writing. And are you interested personally in things like tarot? Um, there was a time... <laughs> back in the day but not now no <laughs> i know it's a weird question but like there's just so many things that come out that malachi is interested in and so as i was reading through i wonder damien is he is, are these things that you know he he's he's researched for this novel or are they just you know interests because malachi is interested in many things he he gets deep into philosophy um particularly as it relates to um to religion uh, he obviously gets deep into the thoughts about religion and what that means because his family, as I said before, is highly religious and that puts him in a tough position because they don't, one, they won't accept that, that he's gay. Um, they won't accept him for who he is, um, which is obviously why they, they pack him off to, a, this, uh, to this camp. But he, he's interested about a lot of stuff, and, and um, there's, quite, there's quite a lot of things in this novel that pop out like that. Uh, I can't think of others off the top of my head, but um, there are a lot of different topics. So it's a novel where it's not just about him going to a camp and being abused and coming out. There's also little asides in there, which, which I found very interesting as well. It may sound crazy now, but I was aiming this at a young adult market. And I wanted to give the reader, whoever it was, some ammunition and some argument and a way to defend themselves against errant philosophies that would tell them they were wrong, tell them that they broken and needed to be fixed. And so I felt like if I was going to do that, I couldn't just spoon feed because, because no, one, no one takes in spoon feeding anyway. You know, well, you can, but then it doesn't really apply. So what I, what I felt I needed to do was to actualize every single thing that I was saying. So every philosophical position that I present is mapped by either a story that goes alongside it or by, you know, some action within the novel. 
that reinforces that position. The idea there is that that means that you know these these defences shouldn't even be needed. But these defences against people who will tell you you are wrong simply because you are atheist or or gay. Defences um, against the dark arts. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. But hmm. with, with this, you can. I think you've got a fair shot of remembering those arguments because they've been made experiential. This is true. And are you, in fact, a free cell champion? I am the king of free cell. I love free cell. Okay. I'm a writer. But we won't, you know, what do I do? I, if, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not writing, I, I play free cell. <laughs> of course. There's a, there's a really cool little aside in this about, about uh, Malachi complaining about how his dad doesn't understand how to play free cell properly. <laughs> Who doesn't understand? That alone is a reason to not like the dad. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that said it all for me, you know. <laughs> I've been wondering, and I've never gotten around to ask you, but what did the book teach you? What did writing and working on it teach you? It was the first time I was playing with Chuck Palahniuk's ideas of those two essential things that he says make you fall in love with a character, make you really get into a character, are show them in an embarrassing situation and make them have special knowledge, something to say, something they know about which the reader doesn't, so they can tell the reader about that. That boils down to two things, empathy and interest. When you meet someone, I think for the first time, who you don't know, if they're interesting and they've got something to say, you're like, yeah, let's go. This friendship could develop. I'm, they're not boring. They're not uninteresting. They, they have things to say. They have arguments. They have ideas. And a friendship can possibly develop. So that's great. But there's the other side of it, is that when you meet someone and they're vulnerable um, and something nasty has been done to them, your first instinct is to reach out or, you know, the... the the, the, more, the morally reasonable person, their first instinct would be to reach out. And so I, I, see, I, I could see why those two things would work. And so I, did, I decided to do both of them. Yeah, you didn't hold back, did you? So we have, we have that scene at the, at, at the very beginning. It's, it's ch end of chapter one where he's humiliated by a, a group of kids from his school. We also have the ongoing discussion about interesting things. And by the time it gets to chapter three, I think, most people seem to be sold. So that was important, and, and I was glad that worked. And I, I keep that in consideration now for every character, every main character that I write. I thought there was some great philosophical de debate in the book about um, why some organised religions, particularly Christian um, or Christianity, I suppose, is tends to be vehemently um, against homosexuality and and and, and gay marriage, um, tackled from rather than from the social perspective, from their perspective, but from a from an actual logical perspective, you know, in, in straight logic, and and it makes a lot of sense um, the way it's the way it's laid out. Yeah, one of the big subjects um, of Malachi. Big themes is morality. I mean, that's what that's what we're talking about in, in the book quite a lot of the time is morality and ethics, and a person's right to impose those on another person. That's that's kind of the object lesson in the book, I think, and 
how it all goes wrong when, when that's out of balance. And it really does go wrong. I, I felt, again, it was important to make those distinctions. And, and some of these, for example, that one, I wanted to make it clear to people the difference between ethics and morality because it's something that's often confused people don't really have a grip on it and you can't start processing and working out the problems until you understand what, what the difference is between the two things uh, and also how the abrahamic religions their adherents tend to confuse the two and they talk about the god-given morality and the, you know as the rules that, that are in their holy text when in fact those are you know a very dubious ethical set of ethics and hmm. their, their morality is, is almost being overwritten by these things. I, I, I want to say, I can't remember who it was who said it. There's a, there's a great quote, a very wise man said, that left to, left to their own devices, good people will do good things and bad people will do bad things. If you want to make a good person do bad things, all it takes is religion. <laughs> now, that does sound quite harsh, but I think you can, you can see what I'm saying. The things that are done to Malachi, the things that are done to these kids in these camps, no person in their right mind would do them. Not with any modicum of, of decent morality, they wouldn't. It takes this idea that they're somehow less than human, less than holy, less than good, to be able to do that. If you look at the Genocide Watch page, there's a great list they maintain of uh, it used to be the eight steps but i think it's now the 12 steps towards genocide you'll, you'll be very surprised to find how far up the list um the abrahamic religions go in, in their treatment of um, many different classes of people including homosexuals including atheists including women in the, the othering dehumanizing um approach that they take Yes, and um, you know um, the list. The list goes on. In, in some places, they they go as they go as far as the step just before genocide happens. And of course, as we know from Chechnya now, um, hmm. they also go as far as genocide. Yeah, um, I think what you were trying to say there was that I should forgive Malachi's mother, um, and because you know she's a good person who was led wrong by her religion but it's not going to happen i'm sorry <laughs> yeah a lot of people have a hard time hard time forgiving the parents and and i get it i totally do get it um malachi you know there's that there's that scene where where he, he meets them again for the first time after uh, so long when he's he's been in a hospital and you know, when I was writing that, I did. I had this list of barbs and insults and horrible things I was going to get him to say to them, and he wouldn't do it. He would not do it as a character because in his head he had all this anger and all this hate, but in his heart he was still just the heart. He's better than I would have been. Yeah, that was a, that was that was the one thing. You know, I think he's a very forgiving. He's a very forgiving person. I've I've said this, and I and I've told a lot of people about this book the crucifixion and resurrection of Malachi the queer. And I, and I highly recommend people read it. It's very, despite what Damien said, it's very well written. Um, if you're a writer and, and you're interested in craft, there's a lot of things to learn from this book. And I think that even though it can be challenging in parts, it really did make me feel like I'd learned a lot and I was, and I'd grown as a person after, after having read it. So I have been recommending it to people. 
and I, I hope at the end, in the conclusion, there's there's hope. You know, it still gives you it still gives you the hope, the things that we will hope for, and you know that's obviously peace and the ability to be who we are and and not be judged for things we have no control of and aren't hurting anyone else. I'm glad it was there because I would have been depressed if I'd read it and there was no hope at the end. <laughs> I was depressed enough as it is. And while I needed processing time afterwards, after reading it, after finishing it, and while I realised that I'm going to read it again, I'm not up to the challenge again emotionally, I still recommend it to people. Because, first of all, these are stories people just need to hear. But second of all, despite what Malachi takes you through um, in terms of emotion and, and horror, at times you're just going to be helpless against his personality and against you're not going to be able to help loving him and you're not it's like a really hard workout you think oh god that's going to hurt doing it but afterwards you just feel good that's a really great analogy that's exactly what it's like you run a marathon um you sprint up seven flights of stairs and it's horrible on the way up because it's so tough but you're learning all the way. And when you get to the top, there's this feeling of, of elation because you've got there and, and there is hope there. Um, and there's love there too, which is really nice to find at the end. Andrew, you know what it's like to sprint up seven flights of stairs? Well, I did live in Hong Kong for a number of years. So <laughs> let's just say that. Yeah. And I, um, I think maybe that's the other thing that I learned is that, you know, you, you can't end up all your novels blowing everyone up. That's not, not the thing to do. You have to give them some kind <laughs> you have to give them some kind of hope. Um and some kind really? of resolution. Can I quote you on that? We can't end up blowing everyone up. Is that what you just said? We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> we absolutely will. Yeah. <laughs> For people listening, there's a an, an, an as yet unpublished manuscript which may or may not have a massive explosion in it. And which may or may not break my heart. He doesn't blow up everyone. <laughs> just your, just your favourite character. Yeah, definitely. You need to reward the reader with hope. Because, that, I mean, there is hope there as much as he went through all this stuff and as much as, you know, people are still going through this, this stuff out in the world. Things are changing. I mean, um, I, think, I think now it's around... 16 maybe 18 out of the 50 states in the usa have passed legislation to ban these camps and it's a slow process we want all 50 of them to ban them to ban it it's been banned in the uk we'll get you know we'll get there we'll get the one state at a time or hopefully well we have to have hope that, that people will see the light that you that you can't you know regardless of in what name you're doing it do things like that to people um and that the othering needs to stop. I said it only yesterday in a conversation um, with Bex, I think, that people, othering starts with labeling, really. Um, and that alone is something that exhausts me to no end. Whether the labels are based on gender or sexuality or race, it doesn't matter. We're all people, we're all humans, and we all bleed red when we, when we have when we cut our finger or when you know i'm i know it's never going to happen in my lifetime 
But I have to hope that at some point, people will see that, will see past skin color, will see past way of dressing or the amount of money in your bank account or, or your gender and just see humans, you know? That may be the, the final thing that I'll say is that the other thing that I learned from, from writing this was that I really did decide I want, if there, there, was, if there was going to be a, a philosophical basis to my writing, something that I wanted to achieve, it was just that my, my novels and my writing should help foster empathy, really, in the readers. And that, that kind of remains what I want to do. Well, miss, Mission succeeded in this case. Yeah, I think you've done it. Thank you. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> you are welcome. So, um, and thanks for reading anything... it. <laughs> no, thank you for writing it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Yeah. This was Incredibles. Join us again next month for another episode full of book talk, um, laughter, and conversation. This is me, Jasmine Arch, saying goodbye. This is Andrew J. Savage saying goodbye. And this is Damien saying goodbye. And thanks for listening. Welcome back to Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm just saying, but it sounded like Incredibles or something. Today, we're turning the tables on Damien. 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 (laughs) Damien.